before we begin, let me tell you, please, to sign up directly to LifeSiteNews.com. Go there, make that your homepage, LifeSiteNews.com. On the right-hand side at the top of the page, you'll notice a subscribe uh, link. Please hit the link and subscribe to our daily emails. As you might already know, Facebook and Twitter are censoring what we put out. We want you to get the full story. We want you to get the news uncensored. Please sign up directly. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where I am very pleased to be bringing to you Dr. Ralph Martin, the head of Renewal Ministries, an organization dedicated to Catholic evangelization. He's a professor of theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. He's a consultant to the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization, appointed there by Pope Benedict XVI. He's a father of six children. He's the author of many books, including this one called A Church in Crisis, which we're going to talk about now. It examines the forces working to undermine the body of Christ, and it deals with Pope Francis, what's going on in the church today in terms of our crisis and the way out. Stay tuned. Dr. Martin, welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you. It's really good to be here. And as you know, I really admire the uh, courageous work that you're doing. Praise God. Praise God. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Dr. Martin, it uh, as I said at the outset to this program, it's a real pleasure for me to speak with you. You've been very influential in my life, the life of millions of Catholics around the world who have looked to you not only for the clarity of what's going on with church teaching, but also for a close, intimate relationship with our Lord. Your book, your new book, uh, A Crisis in the Church, is uh, is very important. It's it's really important for everyone to read right now. You give a snapshot of what's actually going on in the church with great fearlessness. You say what's going on. You analyze it. You give what I think is the underlying cause for much of the crisis. And then in the end, you give us a hopeful pathway forward. We're going to address all of those things. And if you don't mind starting with probably the most difficult one, it would be what's going on in the church today, particularly in Rome. Yes. You know, when I wrote the first book back in the early 80s, uh, it's called A Crisis in Truth, uh, The Attack on Faith, Morality, and Mission of the Catholic Church. I had just returned from living in Belgium for four years. and I had really gotten in touch with a lot of what was happening in theology. And I was, I was really kind of really shocked at how Catholic theologians were writing articles and issuing reports that, well, maybe, you know, uh, there's some loopholes here in sexual morality, and, you know, maybe if people really love each other, it's okay, and all that kind of stuff. But, and then I was also running it to uh, Catholic missionary orders who were really reshaping their traditional missionary work of bringing people to Christ in the church to uh, human development, and uh, almost feeling like they didn't really believe anymore that people really needed to be converted, you know? And so I, I wrote the book and I, I think it did help a lot of people. But then I thought as John Paul II uh, carried on his pontificate and then as Pope Benedict followed him, I, I really thought, and a lot of us thought that a lot of these issues have been settled, you know, that we really were back on a, a good keel and uh, we had reaffirmed, you know, very taught to splendor and other tremendous documents of John Paul II that, you know, morality, there, there are some moral absolutes and things like that, and that we do need to preach the gospel to all creatures. But then 
you know, I hate to say this, but when Pope Francis got elected, over the first couple of years, things began to move in a different direction. And, and one of the ways in which I kind of first felt like something was up was I was asked to give a talk at a conference at Georgetown University celebrating the Second Vatican Council's anniversary, the 50th anniversary. And uh, I, was, I was quite surprised what I found there. Um, uh, it was like, happy days are here again. The, the spirit of Vatican II is back again. Uh, Cardinal Casper was the keynote speaker who had such a strong influence on Pope Francis and the uh, synods on the family and that, that document of Morris Letizia that's caused so much division and controversy and confusion in the church. He was, he was really, really pushing that. And then uh, the other speakers were quite, quite interesting. Uh, Father Charles Curran, who is like the, the leading dissenta on uh, Humanae Vitae, uh, had to leave Catholic University because he led the dissent. He was invited back as a speaker. He's teaching at Southern Methodist University now. Father Roger Height, Father Peter Fon, both of whom were corrected by the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith for shaky doctrine, uh, they were speakers too. And then in my part of the conference where I, I was asked to talk about uh, what Vatican II actually teaches about the possibility of people being saved without hearing the gospel, based on my book, Will Many Be Saved? Uh, I gave a talk and then a Dominican priest from Canada, I'm sorry to say, a Dominican priest from Canada, who's in charge of evangelization for some big thing, uh, gave a talk and he proposed that we have a moratorium on evangelization and just do interreligious dialogue. So I'm saying, wow, what's, what's going on here? And, and after a couple of years went by, I felt like, gee, those people at Georgetown knew something was going to happen in Pope Francis's pontificate that I didn't know, you know, that it made me give credence to the whole St. Gallen kind of story about people who wanted to change the uh, direction of the church were really lobbying for his election. Now, I, I completely believe he's the legitimately elected pope, and uh, I, I, I'm not in that camp where people reject him as the pope. I, I think he, he deserves respect as the successor of, of St. Peter and respect as a person. And he does say a lot of good things. Uh, I, I teach one of his documents in my seminary class, uh, Evangelii Gaudium, but we have a terrible situation right now where cardinals are attacking cardinals and bishops are attacking bishops and whole Episcopal conferences are disagreeing with each other on fundamental moral issues. And anyway, I can go on and on. I better, I better stop. Yeah, well, what I, what I love is that you are so grounded in the Holy Scriptures. You you have them not only in your mind, but in your heart. And, and so you know very well that, you know, St. Paul, right at the beginning of the church, took up St. Peter to the face in public uh, because he knew there was a danger to the faith. And I think you've seen uh, from your book that danger to the faith in, in a very real way. I tried to write a book that would be honest about the Confucians. Because a lot of people try to paper it over and say, oh, no, it's the media who's distorting things and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. It's not. It's not, it's not true. The media does distort things, but things are happening that are objectively just really, really wrong. And so I felt like I needed to be honest but respectful at the same time and, and, and just try to clarify what, what the Catholic faith really is. And Absolutely. even though the book's only been out for a month, so people have told me it's really helped them quite a bit kind of get their heads clear and feel like, yeah, bad stuff is going on, but Jesus yeah. is Lord. The Catholic Church is still the church he's founded. And, you know, people sometimes ask me, Ralph, are you discouraged? Uh, are you thinking of leaving the church? No, I'm not discouraged at all. Uh, where else can we go? This is the church established by Christ. But 
we need to remember also that nothing, none of this is happening apart from the providence of God. That and there's nothing that God permits that He doesn't have a plan for bringing good out of. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder whether He doesn't want the stuff that's been under the surface all these years. We didn't know it was still under the surface, but it was under the surface, and it's coming out now. Yeah. I'm thinking that maybe the Lord's permitting it to come out so that the righteous can be vindicated, the true doctrine can be confirmed, and those who persist in in subverting the faith can be identified, and we can have a, a purified church. Hmm. That's that's a very interesting thought because that that gives it's true it it exemplifies the truth that our Lord this is in the permissive will of our Lord and what the plan is and there's a very interesting possibility the consequences though are really there just last week Pew released a poll showing that the percentages of Catholics who actually believe in have no problem with homosexuality same sex marriage kind of thing are percentages that you wouldn't believe. They talk about uh, the Netherlands in the 90 percentage. In fact, over 90 percent in the Netherlands and in other countries are approving of things like homosexual marriage. So the effect is really there. Just a a couple months ago, we had Pope Francis come out with a statement um, on uh, same-sex civil marriage in a film. He made that statement, of course, uh, previously. It was previously taped. However, released now, the Vatican tried to do a song and dance about it. But in the end, a lot of people had to admit, wait a minute, his words were very clear. He did endorse same-sex civil unions, not marriage, and uh, that came out. But nonetheless, very confusing times. We've heard from Catholics who entered the church from homosexual lifestyles and, and left those lifestyles, that this was so harmful to them. It, it, it really was like a stab in the heart from the Pope himself. Yes. And I, I, I have to say that when I, when I talk to people in Rome who I know who are very balanced people, what they tell me is that it does look like those around the Pope and the Pope want to de-emphasize sexual morality you know, probably out of good motives, but really a bad thing to do, you know, and it's, it's sort of this whole thing about, we don't want to alienate ourselves from contemporary society, you know, we want to, we need to accommodate ourselves more to the culture, and, uh, and then, you know, the culture is putting a lot of pressure on the church today, a lot of priests and bishops are intimidated to speak about the truth about these things anymore, you know, if you talk about the truth about sexual morality, for example, you'll be called hate haters and hate speakers, you know, hate speakers and things like that. And so a lot of, a lot of bishops, and a lot of priests, when these texts come up in the liturgy, which they come up all the time about the final judgment, about the need for salvation, about uh, how sexual sin can actually exclude us from the kingdom of God, you know, first uh, Corinthians chapter six, Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God, the fornicator, the adulterer, the person who engages in homosexual activity, the thief, the robber, the drunkard, so on and so forth. And and these are things about people's salvation, but we're being intimidated to be silent about them because of, of, of fear from the culture, but also fear from within the church, because we know, just like you said, that a lot of Catholics have gone over to the world. You know, even Catholics who are coming to church on Sunday sometimes aren't coming with the mind of Christ and the spirit of God, but they're coming with the mind of the world and the spirit of the age. I was just talking to a really good priest who said he just couldn't stop. He couldn't keep silent any longer about sexual morality. He had to preach on it. And when he did, four people stood up and walked out. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to take our losses. You know, there's a fake unity right now. You know, there's just a fake unity right now. And we got to be willing to uh, speak the truth and, and, and take the consequences. We need to speak the truth in love. But, uh, 
the longer we delay in speaking the truth, the worse it's going to get. And how much worse can it get when so many of our people have already exchanged the truth of God for a lie? Amen. Amen. So I think you've now hit upon the, the key that underlies so much of this. The reality of the real consequences of sin and the notion of universalism or that everyone is saved, no one's going to hell, the empty hell theory, as some people call it, all of that has been much of a focus of your life, perhaps in, unintentionally so. <laughs> but, um, you know, you've, you've really been a lightning rod on that, maintaining the truth of Christ, maintaining the truth of the scriptures that Jesus himself revealed over and over and over again in the scriptures. And yet, I, I find it it's so incredible because that belief in universal salvation, that belief that really nobody's going to hell, does allow for anyone to allow anything. Because, you know, really, if we're all going to hell and these two guys love each other, what? why do we have to browbeat them into, no, you can't do that, that's really bad. Why not just let them live their life out because we're all going to heaven in the end anyway? Really? Do we have to get it when it's so, so psychologically hurtful for them? Can't we just leave them in peace? Yeah. And so if you, if you don't mind addressing that, uh, I think really the key. Of well, I think, I think you're right. That, that undermines everything. And if I were to describe how many of our fellow Catholics look at the world today, I'd describe it like this. Broad and wide is the way that leads to heaven. And almost everybody's going that way. But narrow is the door and difficult the road that leads to hell. And hardly anybody's going there. Maybe nobody. Now, we know what's wrong with this picture, don't we, John Henry? It's just the opposite of what Jesus himself says. Yeah. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are traveling that way. Narrow is the door, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few there are who are finding it. Now, we know this isn't how the Lord wants it to be. We know that God wills that the whole human race be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, but people have to come to a knowledge of the truth and respond to it with faith and repentance in order to be saved. And, and then, you know, Luke chapter 13, uh, people ask Jesus, will there be few in number who are saved? Now, Jesus doesn't answer like we might think, saying, oh, chill, guys, you know, uh, this is just Jewish hyperbole. I didn't mean to upset you. You know, don't you remember your scripture classes? You know, literary form didn't say that. Didn't say numbers or percentages either. But what he said is so sobering. He says, try very hard to enter by the narrow door because many, I tell you, will not be able to enter. And the door is going to close. <laughs> now, he goes on to say that an outcry happens in the streets. People say, wait a second, Jesus, we were hanging out with you. We went to your teachings. We went to your healing services. You know, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean that, that we're not going to enter? And he says, you know, uh, depart from me, you evil ones, because, you know, you heard my teachings. You went to my healing services, but you didn't enter into relationship with me. You didn't believe who I was or what I was saying. You didn't repent. You didn't become a disciple. So when the door closes, only those who are going to be inside are those who have responded to the message of salvation. And there's the outside with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this isn't an isolated text. I mean, there's just dozens of them. It's the, it's the teaching of the church. It's the tradition of the church. It's in the catechism of the Catholic Church. And it's in Vatican Council, too, although most people don't know that, you know. 
uh, I, I wrote a whole book on that called Will Many Be Saved? And what Vatican II actually teaches and its implications for new evangelization. Vatican II does teach that it's possible under certain stiff conditions that it's possible for people to come in contact with the grace of Christ without hearing his name. But it's very difficult and very often it doesn't happen because people give in to the disordered desires, they give in to the world, they give in to the lies of the devil, and they desperately need to hear the gospel. People are not better off for not hearing the gospel. They're in great danger. Yeah, I mean, this is <clears throat> ties back so much to where the worldly in the church have gone, even among bishops and, and theologians and so on. They've gone to points of repudiating, um, well, repudiating uh, what they call proselytization, or that, like you mentioned, that one theologian who talked about, let's abandon evangelization and, and just talk about um, inner religious dialogue or ecumenism or whatever. A, a false kind of ecumenism that doesn't call people to come into contact with, make relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. One that just basically says, oh, you're all, you're all good anyhow. We don't have to worry about it. We just have to talk about living in peace and joy and all wonderful. Deadly stuff when it comes to the real consequences, the one which, as you just explained, Jesus said over and over and over again, much to the consternation of his own listeners. And yet he stressed these things for us. In fact, it reminds me of a statement from Penn Jillette, one of the most famous atheists in the world. He actually said, listening to the true teaching of the church, said, well, if you believe that hell's a real thing or that eternal life is possible, and you're not willing to tell people that because it's impolite or politically incorrect, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that eternal life is possible and not tell them that? And to me, that's some of the most convicting words I've ever heard on the subject at all. And yet they come out of the mouth of an atheist who, a very famous atheist, who, um, you know, really, I think, gives the, really should make all Catholics take a second look at what they've been doing. No, that is an incredible quote. Honestly, I think about it from time to time. It's an incredible quote. And I think what it does, it shows us that there's a lack of faith underneath mm -hmm. the surface that a lot of people don't really believe uh, what, what the church teaches, what Jesus says. I think it's rooted in skepticism about scripture. Like uh, chapter two in the book, I said, is there a solid place to stand? Chapter one, I talk about the whole range of problems. Chapter two, is there a solid place to stand? And I think it starts with people not really sure how we can take the words of Jesus. Can I really trust them? I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I've heard scripture scholars say this and that about it type of thing. And then you do have people in Rome, like the head of the Jesuit order, uh, saying things like when he was asked about divorce and remarriage and what Jesus said about it, he said, well, were you there with a tape recorder? Do we really know what Jesus said? You know, and, and what is that going to do to Catholic people? I mean, it's like, gee, maybe we don't really know what Jesus said. Maybe we can't really trust the apostles' writings. And so I think one of, the, one of the top priorities for us is to recover our confidence in the inspired and errant word of God and approach it just like the church asks us to approach it, like in Vatican II in the Constitution of Sacred Revelation, section 11, it says, everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit and to teach firmly, faithfully, and without error those truths that God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. 
We need to pay attention to the word of God for the sake of our salvation, and we need to share it with others for the sake of their salvation. All these terrible statistics aren't just numbers. They're souls that are being lost. Mm-hmm. You know, unless they, unless they repent, unless they return, uh, there's a very good chance that they're going to be lost forever. And, and so the urgency of evangelization completely drains away when you don't believe the word of God, you know? I, you know, can I just show people the cover of the book? The oh, cover of the book do, is, yeah. part of the, is part of the message. It's called The Church in Crises, Pathways Forward. And on the cover is uh, the cathedral at Notre Dame burning, which I think shocked the whole world. And uh, I, I just felt like the Lord wanted that on the cover because shortly after we decided on this for the cover, I, I'm working with the Bishop's Committee in the United States, the subcommittee on the catechism, I'm a consultor. And shortly after we chose that as the cover, one of the high officials there said, the church is burning. Mm-hmm. It says hundreds of parishes are going to be closing, hundreds of churches, parishes are going to be closing, hundreds of schools are going to be closing, more dioceses are going to be bankrupt. So the church is burning. And this is almost like a symbol. It's, it's like the Lord saying, Something radical has to happen. Something's wrong. We have to really get into more fundamental reform and repentance than, than we're really thinking of right now. So yeah, We need that same love. I might say the same love that you have in your heart for our Lord and the sacred scriptures, our Lord, knowing that when we're reading his words in Holy Writ, in, in the Holy Bible, we're reading him. And it should engender such an awesome love in also that evangelical or apostolic spirit to go out and share the truth of Christ with all of your friends, your family, all those whom you love. You, 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 they have the possibility to have eternal life. And I could say even more than that, to have this awesome relationship with our Lord and Savior, our, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who loves them and wants them and is knocking at the door of their hearts. Um, anyway, let's, let's talk about your, um, not prognostication, but your hope for the future. Well, my hope for the future is not based on false optimism. Uh, in some ways, a lot of ways in the church today, because people sense how difficult things are, they don't want to discourage people. So they say things like, we have a vibrant, thriving church. <laughs> we don't have a vibrant, thriving church, you know? And, and so there's like this official policy of optimism. And as long as we keep that false optimism going, we're, we're not going to be able to really look at what's wrong and really come up with uh, measures that would really address the depth of our problems. So, you know, the, the second half of the book, like you said, is the first half of the book is six chapters talking about the problems. Second half of the book is seven chapters talking about pathways forward. The first, the first chapter and the, and the second part of the book is called, we got to be real. We got to be honest. We got to get over this false optimism. The next chapter is, when we get over our false optimism and really look what's wrong, we need some pretty deep repentance, you know, all of us. And so the book's not just directed towards leaders, but it's, it's, it's all of us. But I do, I do put in there something that was really encouraging in the Archdiocese of Detroit, where I teach in the seminary. Uh, the Archbishop Vigneron, who's now the vice president of the Bishop's Conference, uh, uh, he said, we really need to have a solemn liturgy of repentance before we can expect to change the whole direction of the archdiocese uh, towards evangelization. So he had a very serious, solemn liturgy of repentance where he repented on behalf of the archdiocese and, and the leadership of the archdiocese for some really significant things like false teaching. And that's hard for bishops to do to say, we have really allowed false teaching to happen in this archdiocese over the years. 
we, we've been afraid to uh, tell the truth to people. We really need to repent for that. And he, he repented for a number of really, really serious things. Of course, the words of John the Baptist come to mind saying, uh, bear the fruits of repentance, you know, actually live out what you repented for and not just go on without really doing the deep cleansing that really needs to happen. But it was really encouraging to see that. And there's like a whole examination of conscience in that chapter that we all can use about all the areas that we've been responsible for. We all have our own spheres of responsibility. We need to ask the Lord, am I, am I in those situations as real disciples of Christ? Am I really speaking the truth in love like I should? Am I really uh, praying and fasting like I should? Am I really caring about the salvation of souls? Am I myself kind of still straddling two, two worlds? You know, there's, a, there's a chapter in the book called Stop Straddling the Issue. You know, the prophet Elijah, you know, told the Jewish people, you, you've got to put both camps. You, you got to get out of Baal's camp and get into the Lord's camp. And so there's a lot of the church, a lot of us that have been straddling the issue. We're sort of made little accommodations, little exceptions, you know, carving out little, little areas for us where maybe we think since I'm basically a good person, it's okay to indulge myself in this, that, or the other thing. And we need to have a holy church. We need to have a church on fire. We need to have a church that uh, continues to live a repentant life. So that, that's another chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we, we need to have this great awakening in our own lives. Things are tough, though. We are in a, in a battle in the church, but also personally in a battle. They, we are, have more uh, temptation to sin probably thrown at us today than ever before in history. It, it, it not only uh, is there for your taking, it, it comes to you and knocks at your door um, in, in a way that couldn't have been imagined before. Um, what helps are there for people today in this in the midst of the even the, even the personal struggle yes the, all the stuff is going on in the politics and the church and whatnot but in terms of that personal struggle where it's really hitting us in our own souls what's our help there it really starts with fear of the lord the scripture says fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom we have to understand who god is we have to understand his holiness we have to understand that if we really want to be one with god we have to be changed. We have to be transformed. We have to be cleansed. You know, like when the prophet Isaiah was being called to his mission, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't, I can't do this holy thing. And then the angel kind of took the, the coal and, and cleansed them. And same with St. Peter. When Peter really realized who God was and he had the fear of the Lord when he saw the miracle, he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So the Lord is willing to take our uncleanness, to take our sins, and to little by little over a period of time bring healing to our soul, be deliverance to us, uh, clarity to our mind and heart. And then we need to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I think it's Matthew 5, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of those who can cast you down into hell. Now, a lot of people say today, you don't want to scare people with hell. Don't do fire and brimstone. Uh, you know, that's not a worthy motive. But honestly, the Lord thinks it's a worthy motive. The Lord tells us to be afraid of what could lead us to hell. St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Teresa of Avila, and all the saints talk about how that kind of fear uh, is a good way of, of starting the spiritual life. And it's even good in higher stages of the spiritual life to remember that when we're being tempted. You know, so fear of the Lord, respect for God, understanding the incompatibility of sin with his holiness, and then practical measures. I, I don't see how anybody can even have a hope of surviving as a Catholic today 
if they're not taking some time each day for personal prayer and meditation on the word of God. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's a necessity, you know, so, you know, anybody who's watching or listening, I would just say, if you're not taking some time each day to feed your soul, to pay attention to the Lord, to kind of point in his direction, even if you're dry, even if you're tired, even if you're distracted, uh, even if you feel like you don't have a spiritual thought in your body, just be there and face the Lord. And, and if adoration is available in your area, go, go to that type of thing. And do some spiritual reading. You know, I, I find it helpful to use this little kind of monthly thing called Magnificat, you know, where it has uh, daily readings of the Mass and a little morning prayer and a uh, place for intercessions and a life of the saint and meditation. You know, it, it, if I come to prayer and I'm feeling like prayerful, I'll just be with the Lord. I'll just be quiet. I'll just try to kind of welcome him into my soul and just try to listen to him. But if I'm feeling kind of dry, uh, I'll pick up Magnificat. And that helps me start to get going. It helps me get focused type of thing. And spiritual reading. Uh, I, I know you mentioned, you know, one of the books I, I wrote was called The Fulfillment of All Desire, a guidebook for the journey to God based on the wisdom of the saints. And I, I wanted to know as much as you could know that the Catholic Church knew about the spiritual journey. And as I began to read these different doctors of the church, I said, you know, they're all talking about the same thing. They're all talking about the Holy Spirit cleansing and healing and, and uniting the human soul to God. And if we could ever put all this wisdom together into a, an orderly, clear way, we'd have the best wisdom that God has given to the church through these great doctors of the church. And so it took me 10 years to do it, but that would be a good spiritual book for people to read. You know, I, I, I read it myself. In fact, we're doing an Advent, a four-week Advent mission right now uh, uh, where I'm going to be doing four talks the four Sundays in Lent on, on themes from the book. And people could just go to RenewalMercies.net and register for it. It's free. So anyway, yeah, yeah, we have to, we have to take heed lest we fall, lest we're so concerned with what's happening out there. We're not taking concern about what's happening in here. And it's very, it's even dangerous. You know, the work you're doing is Jane, dangerous. The work I'm doing is dangerous because when you look at the evil, when you look at the problems in the church, it's easy for it to do something to your spirit that isn't right. And so we need to keep, keep in the presence of the Lord, keep in his love. And uh, my, my hope for the church, John Henry is, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's the Lord. He's the head of the church. And a lot of Catholics don't know this, that the Pope isn't the head of the church, but Jesus is the head of the church, and he's going he's gonna to lead us through what we're, what we're going through right now. He's going to lead us through it. We have to be attentive to him. We have to be obedient to him. We have to be sensitive to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, and we have to stay within our spheres of authority. We, we, we've been given a certain responsibility in, in family life or in work life, and we shouldn't go out of our sphere of responsibility. Father Mike Scanlon used to always say that. He'd say, stay in your lane. Stay in the path that the Lord's given you, because if you go out of your path, bad things start happening to your soul. So, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you brought up the personal aspect of it. And while we are doing that, while we are getting ourselves right with the Lord, closer and closer into relationship with him, into fidelity to him, how can we help the church at large, we're seeing it, as you said, it, it's on fire. Uh, many of us in our own parishes, in our diocese, and, and then watching what's going on in Rome are confronted with something we'd never, never dreamed we'd see, uh, you know. And so is there any role that the laity can play on these issues? 
I have a chapter in part two called The Time for Action. And us lay people shouldn't be passive. When we, when we hear something said in a sermon in our parish that isn't right, or we think it isn't right, it seems to not be faithfully passing on what, what Jesus and the apostles in the church teaches, what the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches, we should respectfully go to the priest or the deacon and say, Father or deacon, I, I heard you say this, and am I understanding you correctly? That, that's what you said? And uh, it doesn't seem like that's what the church really teaches. You know, that's not what the catechism says. And if the priest says, gee, I'm sorry, I gave you that impression, I'll, try, I'll, I'll correct it, I'll clarify it. Praise the Lord, you're, you're taking action, it's born fruit. But if the priest blows us off, which, which, which certainly could happen, and says, come on, you got to get with the times, you know, that's an old-fashioned view, you don't still believe that, do you, or whatever like that. If he does something painful like that, then we really should go to the bishop. Now, i gotta, I got to warn lay people who are listening to this, the bishop will not be happy to see you. He will not be happy to hear from you. But you have to tell him what's going on in the preaching or teaching in your parish. And you have to provide whatever documentation you can. The letter should be respectful. Uh, and ask him, to please help us, because the, the sheep are being misled. They're not being fed the, the, the true, true food that the Lord wants to feed them. If the bishop won't see us, if the bishop doesn't respond to our letter, we have one other option. We can go to the papal nuncio in Washington and inform him of our concern. Probably all he'll do is send a copy of our letter back to the bishop, and we're going around in a circle. That's not going to go anywhere. But at least we've fulfilled our responsibility. You know, uh, at least we fulfilled our responsibility. I, I do this when I run into uh, things. I, I've gone to Bishop in Lansdowne, gone to the Archbishop of Detroit, and talked about things that were of concern. And uh, sometimes it seems like things were done. Sometimes it things things weren't. But I felt like I did what the Lord wanted me to do. So us lay people need to do what we think the Lord wants us to do, you know, and not, not be passive. Also, we need to stop contributing, to tell you the truth, to places that are undermining the faith. Yeah, I know that's radical to say, but it's true. We need to vote with our pocketbooks. Absolutely. We need to support those parishes and those dioceses that are faithful to Christ and are addressing the culture in a properly aggressive way and ministries that do the same thing. I, th I think we should maybe close with this. In the end, as you said, our Lord will vanquish and uh, our Lord will be victorious. It's his church. He has given a role in his vanquishing to his most holy mother. The, the demon is, as we know in the proto-gospel in Genesis 3.15, crushed by her heel. And I think that's really, um, it's so fitting because not only is the, the devil vanquished by God, who for whom it'd be like, oh yeah, no big deal. Of course, he's God and, you know, I'm, I'm his challenger. But our Lord gives this role to the humblest of all creatures, a, a, a creature who's created um, uh, humans, that, that therefore lower than the angels. And yet she's given that role. What do you see as the role of Our Lady and how is she a help to you uh, in living out your life for Christ? You know, Vatican II does say that lay people have a right to make their views known, you know, and... Uh, we, we should make our views known, but we should also uh, respond to what Mary asked us to do at Fatima. You know, she, uh, she said, accept the suffering that comes your way and offer as reparation for sins and conversion of sinners and also pray the rosary 
every day for peace in the world. And, uh, you know, she said World War I was going to end soon, but if there wasn't repentance, a worse war was going to come, World War II. 20 million people died in World War I, 50 million people died in World War II, and so many more millions have died under communism. And since World War II, I don't think the world has turned back to God. In fact, what we're really seeing is something like a great apostasy. Whether it's the great apostasy or not, we'll only know if the Lord returns, but we're seeing this tragic, shocking, wicked turning away from faith by Catholic country after Catholic country, and even our own country, so many of our fellow Catholics, like you pointed out at the beginning of the program, are no longer believing, or are no longer obeying. And so I think what Mary said is that a prayer and sacrifice, she said so many souls are going to hell because so few people are praying and sacrificing for them. So if I move my camera, I could show you a little picture of St. Jacinta and St. Francisco right, right here, right next to me, and a picture of Mary. And I really do think that uh, the tremendous things will happen if, if more and more people uh, pray and sacrifice for reparation for sin, the, the terrible sins by which the Lord is being offended. St. Francisco, when he was dying, said, God is so offended by these sins, we shouldn't commit even the littlest sin. And it gets back to fear of the Lord. It gets back to a believing what's being revealed to us from heaven. But uh, I'm trying to follow what Mary is asking us to do because I know that we human beings can't do this. We need help from heaven. We need heavenly help. But he, heaven does work through human beings. It works through our prayer and fasting. It works through our accepting the charisms that the Lord's given us. You know, again, Vatican II says the Holy Spirit gives charisms to everybody because that's what scripture says. You know, and, and no pope and no council can ever teach anything contradictory to scripture. Uh, but everybody's been given charism. So I'd like to say everybody here who's listening today or watching, the Lord has given you gifts. Paul said to St. Timothy, stir into flame the gift that you received when I laid hands on you. We've all received the gift of baptism and confirmation and the Holy Spirit. We need to stir into flame the gifts that the Lord has given us and actually activate them to build up the body of Christ. So many gifts gifts of encouragement, gifts of prophecy, gifts of administration, gifts, gifts of giving money generously, gifts of helps, so many different gifts, gifts of healing. So we need to have these gifts come alive in the body of Christ in order for Christ to really be able to manifest himself to the world today. Amen. Dr. Ralph Martin, thank you so much for being with us here on the John Henry Weston Show. I'm going to encourage all of you, go to Renewal Ministries, find the book. It's available, of course, on Amazon.com, uh, everywhere, really. Uh, the book is The Church in Crisis um, by Dr. Ralph Martin. Thank you so much again for being with us. Thank you, John Henry, and thank you for, for the brave work that you're doing. Praise God. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time on the John Henry Weston Show. Hello, this is John Henry Weston. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. There you will find all the past episodes and much more. Thanks again for watching, and may God bless you.